And this, this morning, um, all over the world where Christian churches are gearing up next week is Palm Sunday. And then the Sunday after that is Easter Sunday where we celebrate the resurrection. But in this Sunday, the Sunday before Palm Sunday, one of the, the texts that is commonly uh, used in churches is, is the text from John's Gospel, chapter 11, where uh, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And um, so I want to use that this morning. There's, there, are three, there are three things in there that I think are really helpful for us all during this time. Um, we talk about the term vantage point, use that as a title this morning. There was a movie in 2008 called Vantage Point and it starred Dennis Quaid and it was about this attempted presidential assassination. And the thing that was unique about the, the film was that it, there were many different perspectives that it gave on the same incident. So basically it's the same story replayed over and over against uh, the unique vantage point of each of, of different people who were present and involved in the event at the time. And uh, so you watch one person's uh, story or their perspective and you think you know the whole story till you see another person's story and, and their perspective and it enables you to see something that you couldn't see before and on and on and on, right? And uh, what that film brings out is this reality and that is that things are not always as they seem. Um, and so the right perspective, we could say the right vantage point is extremely important and particularly when we're going through difficult, challenging and trying times. And, uh, and so we, we come to this, this, this event in Jesus ministry uh, that illustrates this principle and helps us to see that we as Christ followers, our call is to grow spiritually to the point where we can begin to look at all of life from more of a divine perspective more of the 30,000 foot level, seeing it through God's eyes rather than seeing it just to the, 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 our own limited perspective, our own limited view, right? And so um, I, let me ask you this question. As we are going through a world pandemic, uh, a, a recession that might turn into a depression, uh, we're concerned about our families and our livelihoods and all of those things. Let me ask you this. What as, you, are you, as you're going through this time, what is your vantage point? What is your vantage point? Are you looking at life from a ground level? Or have you developed a habit of looking at life through God's perspective? So in John 11, um, the seventh sign of the seven signs in John's gospel that point to who Jesus is, uh, the, the last miracle before he spends quality time with his disciples and then uh, goes back to Jerusalem on the way to the cross. Um, and so um, his friend Lazarus, the, the brother of Mary and Martha, a dear friend of Jesus, those th three siblings that are really, really close to Jesus. Lazarus becomes sick and Jesus is 20 miles away in a town called Perea. And uh, that's a two, two day journey from Bethany. And uh, now as I, and I'm gonna read some of the text in a moment and as I read it, I want you to notice one thing. And that is that Mary and Martha didn't ask Jesus to come to their aid, okay? Uh, they just informed him of Lazarus' illness and assumed that he would come quickly. After all, they knew Jesus, right? They yeah. understood his incredible compassion. And so, of course, Jesus would come. To think otherwise would be out of the question, but what we'll see is that Jesus doesn't just drop 
everything that he's doing and hurry to their house. Instead, he waits two more days. Now, let's, let me read from, from uh, John 11, beginning at verse one, and I'm, I'm gonna leave out a couple of verses, but let me just read through the story. Listen carefully. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. That's verse six, jumping down to verse 11. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Jumping down to verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb excuse me, for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who's to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come, who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here 
that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let them go. Interesting, I almost said wrapped with strips of lemon. That would have been very, that would have helped with the fragrance. Strips of lemon. Anyway, excuse me. What, what, what can we gain from all of this? This is a long passage. I, I, sorry to, to have to, to read such a long passage of scripture, but you know, that's the word of God. And it's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Amen. Uh, and, and we need the word today like never before, right? Uh, but let me let me suggest you three things that God is going to teach us here uh, when we're going through difficult times. Number one, God knows. God knows. See, there's nothing that we go through in life that our all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful Heavenly Father doesn't know. He knows everything about you. There's no fearful thought that you've had. There's no terrifying trial that you that you've endured that God did not and does not know about. God knows. And Jesus here is God in the flesh, and, and, and he knows what's going on. And they, I guess the people around think that he's unaware of what's happening, but he knows. And so John's account tells us that before the messenger arrived, Jesus already knew that his friend was dead. Um, but to prove that he knew, to show that he really did know, Look at the timetable. Number one, on the first day, the messenger arrives with the news that Lazarus is ill. Jesus decides to remain where he is for two more days. On the second day, Jesus deliberately remains where he is. On the third day, Jesus departs for Judea. And on the fourth day, he continues his journey, going through Samaria, uh, and, and arrives in Bethany late in the day. And then he's told, by the, those there that Lazarus had been dead for four days, but Jesus knew what he was doing, okay? Lazarus was already dead when the messenger arrived, and as this all-knowing God in the flesh, Jesus, he knew this. And Jesus wasn't being mean or cruel waiting in Perea to allow Lazarus to suffer and die just so that he can make a point because Jesus had never turned down uh, anyone who had come to him and asked him in faith for his help. But Lazarus was already dead by the time the word came to Perea. Uh, let me say this. I, I don't know about you, but it's comforting to me to know that God is all-knowing. And listen, you know what? He knows the fears and the frustrations that I face. It, encouraged me, it encourages me to know that God knows about my struggles. If I could just make this, just, just tailor this to the community, God knows about the, the emotions that Renee that you were experiencing and, and the, the underlying basis of the conflict with your mom. And he knows how it's going to turn out, but he's intimately aware of all that you're feeling and thinking. All that, that all of you are going through, God knows and is aware of our struggles. And it's, it is that vantage point of realizing that God knows that nothing takes him by surprise. It, it's that vantage point that will enable us to deal with difficult and tough times in our lives. J.I. Packer wrote this. He said, what matters supremely is not the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, that he knows me. I, I am never out of his mind. There is no moment when his eye is off 
me or his attention distracted from me and no moment therefore when his care falters there is unspeakable comfort in this truth god knows matter of fact he could not possibly know you better than he does right now i mean doesn't the that fact change your mind when it comes to how you look at problems and difficulties and setbacks and 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 even the coronavirus doesn't that vantage point bring you comfort to know that that god knows but but john tells us something even more than god knows and that is number two god cares if we were in church i'd say turn to your neighbor and we'd be six feet apart and wave at him and say god cares <laughs> He's not some unconcerned creator who's sitting on the throne just watching and, 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 and uploading and cataloging data about our lives, but God also cares. And he's, he's moved by what moves us. And he's concerned about what concerns us. God cares. I mean, look back at the text we read. We're in verse 17, which you'll see uh, that, that funerals like Lazarus were, were a big important part of the culture of his day and so a whole lot of people had come uh, to this funeral for this deep mourning that would last for seven days and the, the first three days were basically continuous weeping and wailing and they even paid people to come along and help them you know weep and wail right uh, and so when jesus got to lazarus home in verse 17 it was during this first week of all of this deep mourning and when jesus ar arrived he found uh, what anyone would expect to find in a Jewish household when someone has died recently. He, recently, he found rooms filled with sympathizers and mourners. And so when Martha learned of Jesus' approach, she comes to him and she basically says, she, basically she, she's in, in, in so many words, where were you? And, you know, and I think that, that implied in her words, it was it, that her belief was that it's kind of Jesus, it's kind of your fault that Lazarus died. Um, I, think, I think that what was really going in the back of her mind was, what took you so long to get here? How, we, here we were doing all we could without the power of God, and you, you stood off, you stood back away from us. You, you kept your distance, and you waited, and you delayed. And e even though we notified you, even though we reached out to you, you didn't come to help until now. Where were you when we were when we needed you? Where were we, you when we were hurting? Now let me ask you something. Have you under have you ever wondered where God was when you were grieving, when you were hurting, in the depths of your being? Have you ever have you ever, wondered, have you ever asked God where, where were you when my loved one died? God, where were you when my marriage fell apart? Where were you when I lost my job? Where you were you when my when my when my child went, went astray? Where, where were you when I was so depressed I couldn't even get out of bed? Where were you? God, don't you care what I've been going through? A lot of us are looking at what's what's going on right now. And, and, and listen, I can't read your mind, but I, I bet you a lot of us are saying and wondering, God, where are you? And notice that Jesus didn't rebuke Martha for asking, and he doesn't rebuke us for asking either. And so this should remind us, as always, that it's not wrong and it's never inappropriate to tell God how you feel and what's on your heart. God wants us to pour out our hearts to him. He wants us to be honest with him. And if you've honestly ever asked God, where were you? There's an answer to that question.
he would say, if we would hear him, that he was right there at your side, hurting with you, grieving with you and for you, and and feeling the pain you were feeling. The Bible says that Jesus is touched with the feelings of our of our weaknesses. He feels our pain. He feels our struggles. He became one of us. He became like us so that he could experience what we experience. And and he feels the pain that we feel from living in a fallen and broken world, a, a world ravaged by sickness and injustice and 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 and, 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 and poverty and pain. Because God doesn't just know, he cares. I don't know about you, but I find that to be very comforting news today. And look at look at how he responds to the to the pain of Mary and Martha. He's he's moved by their grief as though it were his own. And so on this day, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God incarnate, he cried, he wept openly, showing everyone. And this wasn't for show, this was from the depths of his being, from the core of, of his humanity as he felt their pain and shared in their pain, he showed everyone how deeply he cared for this family. He was, as the text says, deeply moved and troubled in spirit. In fact, in the, in the Greek text, the, 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 the nuance of the language infers, it takes it even to a different, different place and infers that Jesus was angry. He wasn't angry at Mary, he wasn't angry at Martha. Uh, he wasn't angry at their friends for grieving uh, with them, but he was angry at death, this enemy that had caused them so much pain. And so like a big brother who hears of a bully who's just beat up on one of on his little brother, Jesus responds in anger. And he says this, where have you laid him? He said this much like you or I would say, where is this bully known as death? Where is this? Take me to him and I'll show him who's the boss. So they took Jesus to the tomb, and when they got there, our Lord once again shows his empathy for weeping, tears running down his face. God cares. Wouldn't you consider that a wonderful vantage point for all of us to share this morning? I mean, wouldn't that perspective change things for the better? God knows what we're going through. He's intimately acquainted with us in every detail of our lives. But God cares and he feels our pain and is deeply concerned about every aspect of our lives from the, the most significant seemingly to the most minute and seemingly insignificant. But there's one more important truth to be gained from this text that kind of ties this all together. And the third thing is this. Number one, God knows. Number two, God cares. But number three, God rules. You look back at verse 23 where Jesus responds to Martha's question by telling her that Lazarus would rise again. And, and Martha goes theological. She says, of course he will. Everyone will rise on the last day in the great resurrection. Uh, in one case, though, she's saying, don't give me theological facts. Uh, uh, but Jesus says I mean, she, I mean, to Jesus, he says, I know my brother will rise thousands of years from now, but, but that doesn't really soothe the pain you know when we when we when sometimes we do the funerals of loved ones and preacher type preacher guys like me we get up and we have all these platitudes of you know they're not you know they're, they're absent from the, and all those things when you're great grie grieving and hurting they don't necessarily they don't do as much for you in the moment as they do just for some of the people that are saying it and sometimes i think we're so quick now to just 
rejoice over those things without taking a moment to enter into the pain of people who are grieving. But Jesus, she says, I understand, uh, I understand that he will rise again. But Jesus comes at her with this response. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Catch the pronoun, the pronoun there. I. Jesus doesn't say to her, yeah, you got, you got the doctrine correct. You've got the, the Bible part correct. You're on target. You're safe, Martha. You know that one day you'll see your brother again in the great by and by. Jesus says, Martha. Look at me, look up, look at who you're talking to. He's saying, Martha, I am God. I hold the power over death. I am the resurrection and the life. I rule. And because I do, he who believes in me, even though he dies, will live. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't put your faith in theology. You need a better vantage point than that. Nothing wrong with theology. It's important, but you need a better point than that. And here it is. He says, put your faith in me because I indeed, I rule over all things, even death itself. Now, I want you to observe how, how Jesus teaches Martha this, this very important fact. Uh, see, the Jews believe that when someone died, the spirit hovered near the body for three days. And so... It was after three days when the spirit left. That's the spirit. The spirit leaves because the body has started to decompose. When did Jesus time his arrival at Bethany? He got there after four days, and so in their mind, all hope was gone. Jesus lovingly and patiently waiting waited in Perea, so there would there would be no doubt that he's Lord over life and death. And so when they took him to Lazarus' tomb, he ignored the sisters' warnings about about the, the smell, and uh, that would cer certainly be coming from a corpse that had been there four days, and he orders the stone to be rolled away. And then after a prayer, he shouts, Lazarus, come out! And uh, a lot of Bible commentators on this passage suggest that if Jesus had not called Lazarus by name, being who he was, the Lord of glory, that every corpse on earth would have come back to life because God ruled my brother my sister my friends wow what what challenging times we are going through together i'm so grateful that we are in each other's lives for this season but i want to encourage you this morning to never forget this that god rules he rules over everything he rules over heart every heartbreak you can imagine every challenge you face even death itself and so as we face a pandemic, a depression, a disorientation, um, confusion, um, a, a, last, a lack of, of any sense of, of what's going to, where are we going to be 30 days from now and what's life going to look like by, the, by, by summer. As we go through all these things, never forget that God rules. And, and by the way, this, the, the phrase in verse 4 when Jesus says, this sickness shall not end in death, that phrase applies to all of God's people, all of Christ's followers, because God rules death. And he says that if we put our faith and trust in him, even though we die, we shall live. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That, my friends, is the gospel. That's good news. So we can, we can remain fixated upon the vantage point of, of the news. 
of uncertainty, of sickness and death, of scarcity of resources, of a faltering economy, of, of confused, dis, dis, disorganized, and dishonest leadership. Or we can pull the nose of our plane up and get up to the 30,000 foot level, 40,000 foot level, and see life and see the world from God's vantage point. From <laughs> God's vantage point, we'll see this. Number one, God knows. He knows what we're going through. Do you think that any of this has taken him by surprise? Number two, God cares and he weeps with us and he's with us in our struggle. And number three, God rules. God holds a power over sickness and death. He's the ruler over all creation. So I can't tell you these are easy times, but I can tell you this, my friends, you're gonna make it. Again, if we were, if we were at, at 1125 Sentinel Avenue, Inglewood, California, 90302 today, I tell you to, to give your, your neighbor a virtual high five and tell them, we, you're going to make it. Yeah, there you go. Come on. Going to make it. Hey, you know what? I finally got to be a television. Just touch the television screen right now. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody out there, there's a thousand. So, so if you sit, no, no stop. But listen, uh, you're going to make it. You are, you are loved by God. And not, you know what? Not, oh, and I, I'm, this is the theme that I'm going to pursue uh, uh, going forward. It's, it's one thing when I say you're loved by God. Guess what? You're liked by God. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. You are not merely tolerated, but you are the apple of his eye. You are the object of his affection. You are his masterpiece, his workmanship. And, and as hard as it may seem to do, particularly in times like this, you have to do what 1 Peter 5, 7 says to do, and that is to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So would you remember this week that God knows, that God cares, and that he rules? Would you, would you do me a favor this week and refuse to allow stress and anxiety to pump your cortisol soul level up and run down your immune system. Just do what do what, my, what the old folks used to say. Have a little talk with Jesus and tell him about all your your your, your, your problems, and, and he'll hear your faintest cry. And and that by and by that he's he'll answer is not going to be as far down the by and by as some people would have you think. He's gonna he's there for you in the moment. And and, and just encourage everyone around you. Let's let's keep each other encouraged and encourage each one to to remember those three realities and allow uh, God to provide that that divine vantage point.